Hey there, listeners. It's Jackie. Uh, I wanted to start off this episode with a bit of housekeeping and a little bit of a disclaimer. So first off, Happy New Year. Uh, I said I wanted to bring this episode to you in early 2017, and even though this isn't as early as I wanted it to be originally, it's still like early-ish. Um, so I'm letting it slide for myself. Uh... Yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit at the beginning about how uh, I haven't uploaded very regularly lately slash at all ever. Um, So the reason this is happening is because I keep feeling like really anxious about the podcast and uh, that feeling hasn't really gone away like I thought it would by now. Um, So it makes uh, making these episodes and making the whole podcast um kind of hard to work on so uh with that being said I don't want to completely give up because I do enjoy making these things but I know at this point aiming for the amount of episodes that I originally wanted per month isn't working either so uh I'm committing myself from this point on, to regularly upload one episode per month. Uh, It's, like, quite far away from the original goal I wanted, but it's kind of the most realistic goal that I can keep for myself. And for, like, the 15 to 35 of you out there who are listening to this. So I want to do that for me and for you. So I will see you I guess every month also I keep forgetting and I feel like awful and guilty about forgetting at the end of every episode and at the end of like three or four drinks uh our theme music is so generously composed by a dear friend Corey Wintermute he made our little ditty of a tune and I love it and I just want to thank him explicitly for doing that for me Okay, and this episode comes with a bit of a disclaimer, uh, almost like we're an after-school special. Myself and our guest Sarah talk uh, quite candidly in this episode about our struggles with mental health. There is quite a bit of talk about uh, specifically depression and suicide, Um, so I wanted you all to know that so that When you listen to this, you can kind of go into this episode knowing what you're about to engage with and not be, like, shocked or, um, in, like, worst cases, like, freaked out, um, by it and, like, have it affect you. Uh, so you can either go in, know what you're engaging with, or just, like, back away right now and decide this isn't for you. Though... I do encourage you to stay and listen to our chat. Um, I promise you it's not like all super depressing or anything. Sarah is a really fantastic guest and she has a lot of really valuable insight on mental health and like being a creative and she's just like humorous and just such a great person to chat with so I really appreciate her coming on and uh being so open and her vulnerability for this episode um yeah I guess um 
finally, like finally, finally, if you or anyone you know is struggling with uh, mental health, please reach out to a trusted friend or family member and or a medical professional. Um, just, yeah, talk to someone who cares about you because they are out there. There are people who care about you and just want you to be well and safe and uh, take care of yourself. There are plenty of resources available online um, for you to chat as well as local chat lines. Um, one we mentioned at the end of this episode is yourlifecounts.org. It's a website where you can go to find listings of your local crisis helpline. So now that I feel sufficiently like the beginning of a very special episode of your favorite after school special or teen show, um, here's our episode. I want to thank you guys for listening and I hope you enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to Influenced, a series of casual conversations about what influences creativity, process, um, making work, views of society, uh, and sometimes just simply living, laughing, loving. I'm Jackie, I'm your host, I'm here every week, and this week we're here with artist Sarah Mulchin. I said that right, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I struggle with my own name, so don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we will be talking this week about mental health and being a creative. I mentioned a couple episodes ago that we went on a bit of a hiatus because I got really anxious about the podcast, um, in which I mean I got really anxious about everything in my life and I didn't really do much. Um, yeah, so I think it's important to talk about mental health and to whatever break down the stigmas but also just like accept that this is a part of ourselves and a part of the creative community um quite often so yeah I've got a guest and we're here to talk about it yay um <laughs> so yeah the reason I brought you here to chat uh there's a couple we've talked about our own whatever experiences or struggles or what have you with mental health um and then also this previous year, you've gotten quite the following on Instagram, making paint mixing videos, which like have had this <laughs> effect um, <Yeah. laughs> on a lot of people. So first, let's go through. You can introduce yourself as an artist and kind of what you do and what your practice is. Yeah. So um, I'm a studio artist here in Mount Pleasant. Actually, my studio is just down the hill from where we're recording. Um by Science World, for those of you familiar with Vancouver. Um, so I'm a studio artist. I mostly do oil paintings. Um, that's how I would identify my practice. And I do figurative abstraction, which is rooted in psychology and identity. Um, I'm really interested in how the way that you form memories um, can change over time and also how your brain can play tricks on you, um, both with uh, recollection and with um, just forming your own identity, your personal histories. So your brain stores little packets of information 
um, over the time of your life. And occasionally when those packets become unused, your brain kind of just discards them. Or in the case of like trauma, depression, anxiety, mental health issues in general, or um, like I said, traumatic events, or even just like like that feeling when you're when you're really in love with someone it just pulls the wool over your eyes those can all alter those packets and change the way that you perceive them when you recollect them or it can make it so you don't even think about those so sometimes with like a past relationship you'll only focus on the good that happened and completely black out anything that was bad like all the toxicity because that's not what you want to remember and your brain somewhat takes your own feelings into account when it chooses how to portray you or others in your memories. So that idea of like what's beneath the surface, I try to bring out on top of my portraiture. So that's my, the figuration and the abstraction elements. Um, as for the paint mixer, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've always been really big on showing my process. I think it's super important. Um, to share with everybody because I've always found it really frustrating when you go and you ask an artist like what brand of paint they use and they won't tell you like as if me knowing that you use gambling is going to make me paint like you it's <laughs> not you are only going to be able to paint like you and that's just a fact because um, you know how to wield the brush the way that you do etc so I've always been really open about my process because showing it isn't going to make you paint like me um, so I started by showing just images of my palette because I use, uh, like a wide range of pastels and neons, um, which are pastels aren't so unique to oil, but, um, the neons are pretty rare, or at least they were when I started using them. They've become a little bit more prolific now, but, uh, um, I wanted to show my process because I wanted to be that person that people could ask questions to and actually get a response. Mm-hmm. Which, in the age of social media, it's just so easy to be accessible, and it, you kind of just look like an asshole when you are <laughs> like when you're like, "Oh, I'm yeah. not gonna answer you because I think I'm too cool for school." Like, no, you can you know show your techniques. I mean, there's artists that I really admire for doing that. Um, Kit King is one of them. She often posts videos on like Periscope, and mm-hmm. she's a hyper realistic painter, and. Like, I could never paint like her, even if I have all her supp- mm-hmm. supplies, all the same brushes, everything like that, because it's not my style. And so I really admire and I really enjoy seeing her process. But I know full well that I would never get there without, uh, I don't know, probably another 20 years of practice <laughs> and wanting and having that desire to paint that way. Yeah. Um. So that's where the paint mixing videos kind of stemmed from. And so I started showing them. I had no idea that there was like, I guess I'm like graphic designer um that's how she identifies i know that's not really the term anymore but she identifies as a graphic designer or illustrator and um she had posted them and buzzfeed had picked them up and so they were already kind of like they had a little bit of a popularity which i was unaware of blissfully unaware of perhaps (laughs) (laughs) and so i started sharing mine and they got all this traction and i was a little mystified and it wasn't until i had um I was, I was in Montreal over the summer and my following was like, I think at that point it was at 10,000 and I was a little confused, but I was like, whatever. <laughs> I had already started my hundred days of paint mixing project, which I decided in an effort to be that transparent, accessible person that I would share my recipes 
for each paint mix that I did. Yeah. Um, I didn't share the quantities because I don't measure my paint, but I did share each brand and its corresponding pigment that I used. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ones I use most are Kama pigments. Um, they're actually based out of Montreal. And then Williamsburg oils, which is just owned by Golden Paints. And then uh, I used some Gamblin. So... Everything was pretty much the same. So if somebody wanted to go out and buy the paints that I had and do the videos, they could. Yeah. Um, But as I demonstrated over the course of the 100 days, that I could use the same three colors in multiple different paint mixes and get different colors. So (laughs) it like proportion is everything. But um, I wanted – so I I found that out. And then somebody linked me to a BuzzFeed article on myself. While I was in Montreal and I was like, what? Like, this isn't like, I don't, what? (laughs) And it was kind of, it was very surreal. Um, I had, so at this point I had, my following just kept growing. I started getting contacted after the BuzzFeed article was released. I was contacted by the Daily Mail, uh, Huffington Post, and the NBC Today Show, all within like a one week period. Yeah. And I said yes to everything because like... (laughs) I didn't really I didn't really think anything I was like you guys want to talk about pain mixing on the air (laughs) whatever like go for it um and the funniest thing about the today show one is they did mix paint on the air and they just proved to everyone that it's not as easy as it looks yeah so (laughs) I truly enjoyed that one because everyone's like it's so easy anyone could do it I'm like "Mm, Kathy Lee and Hoda couldn't (laughs) (laughs) kudos to them they 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 did a pretty good job of talking about the videos yeah and um, it was really nice seeing that because I, I couldn't have asked for better exposure at mm-hmm. that point. I mean, exposure, you can't pay for anything with, but it does it does have a certain value that um, we like to make jokes about as creatives. Yeah. Um, exposure is great as long as you're not paying for the exposure and you're not giving something up for the exposure. Yeah. And that was something that I stuck to this entire time. Um, because I didn't want to feel like I was taken advantage of because that brings you to like a really dark place. Mm-hmm. Um, so during the whole process, people kept asking me like, why do you think these videos are so like captivating? And I'm like, well, it's like the whole Bob Ross thing, right? Like it's really calming to watch someone paint or mix paint. Mm-hmm. And also this idea that seeing the colors mixed together and come up coming up with something that's also... Just like a pastel, because like, frankly, like I paint with pastels. So most of the colors I came up with were quite like, I would say bland in terms of like visually stimulation. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not as, it's not like I was mixing up like a rainbow and getting brown. So I was mixing like a bunch of colors with white and getting a different pastel. (laughs) So um, one of the people that interviewed me near the end of the, my I would say 15 minutes, but it was like six months. <laughs> um, my like half hour of fame. Um, it's uh, they. It was Brit and Co. And they actually, I was really impressed with their interview. Probably the most. I did a phone interview with them. Nice. And they did. Um, they actually talked to Pantone, and I thought that was really neat because I, of course, I love Pantone. I'm not like a giant fan of their color of the year, but I do love Pantone. Um, yeah. you know. It, they have an agenda so <laughs> whatever um I'm not American so like they they can have that agenda and it's not gonna make me like green still but yeah. um, they talked to Pantone and they were like why do you think these videos are so like alluring and Pantone basically said she's mixing pastels and those are calming and 
naturally your brain responds as like to calm down because it's a common color. She's mm-hmm. not painting brash like with brash like unusual colors that are going to like hurt your eyes or jolt you out of your because I wasn't showing people like I was I don't mix my neons my neons come they're mixed yeah it's a pigment and it's there and that's it and I don't have to mix I mix neons occasionally but like why or the (laughs) like I'll mix two neons together to get a different neon but I'm not I didn't generally show that process because it's really boring it's like here's two neons to make a different neon (laughs) no um but they said it's the same thing it's calming so it helps people with like those with anxiety it would help them feel calmer when they were watching and then for those with depression um the like because the colors were like light and friendly and it just kind of brought people out of their funk a little bit Mm -hmm. and made them what I got most from people with depression is watching the paint mixing videos made them want to paint and then when they went to paint they started to feel better so it was like a a domino effect Mm -hmm. with that as opposed to just the videos making it it prompted them to do something and when you're struggling with depression doing something is the hardest part of depression because it's getting out of bed it's finding something that's going to compel you to get out of your freaking house or just out of your bathrobe or like out of bed mm-hmm. <laughs> like your bed makes a really compelling argument for why you should never get out of it yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and so if you watch a video and it prompts you to get out of your house you go to the art supply store buy paint buy a palette knife buy a brush buy a canvas and actually paint even if it sucks mm-hmm that's amazing yeah and that was the part that like I felt really good about and um that's that's kind of like the the viral and the paint mixing and it's just it's so interesting how what I was using to keep myself out of the house helped get other people out of the house yeah yeah that's a great effect totally and like you know someone who struggles with depression getting out of like that's a lot of steps between like you and like painting if you've never painted before and like to be able to motivate someone to do all those steps like get out of bed put real clothes on leave the house go to the paint supply store get all the stuff <laughs> talk to the people get back hope and still have the energy to or the inspiration yeah to do something like yeah And that was, I found, like, most incredible. And when I shared my own personal story with depression on social media, I did get um, a lot of response. Like, the types of response. Like, I cried all day that day. Mm -hmm. And not because I was particularly sad. But because all of these people sent these messages that were so touching, sharing those exact stories with me, saying that, I like I'm the reason that like some people said I'm the reason they're still alive and that was like heartbreaking and amazing and I Mm -hmm. just felt like well now I can never stop (laughs) (laughs) I'm always gonna have to show my process and show paint mixing and show and be open and accessible and I'm never gonna be able to be that person that you know pulls like an Anish Kapoor and like gives the middle finger to the art world like I'm never gonna be that person because if I do that who knows who that's going to affect. They're going to be like, I idolized you. And then you became this big freaking asshole. And now I feel like everything I know is a lie and there's no point in living. Like, I don't know what like the ramifications of your actions are. And that's something I always try to talk about because one of the 
one of the really sad aspects of social media is the bullying and the feeling that you can say whatever you want to somebody because you have a screen separating you and them. Well, there's a person on the other side of that screen and you don't know what their story is. Yeah. And so to tell like to tell them to like go kill themselves or whatever. Like I see people do that to other people in my comments. I block them. Yeah. Because I'm like, hell no. Like you're not allowed to say this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like this is so uncalled for. This is so outrageous. And also, who do you think you are? Like, and so now I might, I have to stick up for people and I have to stick up for myself and it sucks. And I feel like a jerk sometimes <laughs> when I respond to them. Yeah. But I'm like, if you think it's okay to say that kind of stuff, then I'm not going to put up with it. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it's this, um, the, it, all the beauty of social media, there's like that dark side, which I'm just trying to combat by being like kinder and nicer. And- yeah everything and you're doing like right recently i've started posting just whatever screen caps of people and like calling them out oh yeah which has been great (laughs) i can't help myself like if you think it's okay to private message me and like call me names or (laughs) like i'm gonna call you out on it like i'm sorry but yeah sometimes i don't put their their screen names in because i'm just like honestly i don't need like I don't need everyone that follows me sending them hate mail because yeah. no one deserves that. Yeah. Even the biggest bully on the internet doesn't deserve that. Um, but I do think it's important for people to see that like you're not immune to it, and that I read my comments. Because like, <laughs> 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 lots of people are like, oh, like big accounts, they never read their comments. My account's not that big. Yeah. For starters, I could see if I had like 1.3 million followers or something like that absolutely it would be very hard to go through my comments but i still probably do the most recent post yeah um and respond to people i mean it's one of the things i really appreciate about some really large brands out there that they do go through their comments and they do respond Mm -hmm. and some of those brands are the people behind them actually do look over like i'm pretty sure kat von d looks after her own instagram account Mm -hmm. and she's quite frequently responding to comments yeah and I think that that's really impressive because it's not easy. Yeah. And she's a freaking, she's a busy lady. <laughs> yeah. It, that's a lot of work yeah. to it's get done. Lot, yeah. It's a lot of work. So, um, yeah. So I guess like I can talk a little bit about my own struggle if you'd yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to go into yeah. it. So I guess like when we, when we kind of briefly talked about it about a year ago, mm-hmm. um, it was, it was actually, well, I think unbeknownst to you, it was like shortly after my suicide attempt. Yeah. And because um, I think it was, it was like. Well, we chatted. Well, we first, I went to your place or to my your studio. studio to paint, I guess. Yeah. Like around last March. March. Yeah. So it would have been just, yeah, shortly after, a couple months after. Yeah. But I was still like, it was still really fresh. Like, <laughs> and I really felt like my life in my studio at that time, my studio practice had completely betrayed me. Like I felt that what I, what I do to stay, like to stay busy and everything is to be in my studio all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was in my studio all the time. And yet I still got to that really, really dark place and tried to end it. And I think that. Lots of like I really wanted to combat the stereotype that it's like selfish because it was really just like a desperate act to try and escape. Yeah. 
like this constant feeling of like well the imposter syndrome for starters Mm -hmm. but also just like worthlessness because you have this voice that like sits and like tells you you're a piece of shit like all day and if you feed it what it needs it like thrives so much and i was like oh i'll starve it by always working and that works for me now but it didn't work for me then and i and i think part of that was to do with my work environment like my day job environment was really toxic and so and i also was working a different shift so i was mm-hmm. working in the morning and then i was trying to do my studio in the afternoon but then because i had to work at 5 a.m every day i was going and leaving and going to bed early whereas now it's like a it's like flipped mm-hmm. so i don't work until 12 so i go to my studio in the middle of the night yeah and i sleep and i don't sleep as long and then i do paperwork for my studio in the morning and so it's changed like my like my cycle and my environment and my mental like how I handle things mentally is different because I have that time in the morning to focus on my studio practice, mm-hmm. processing orders or like designing cases or whatever I'm doing that morning. I have time to do it and it puts me in a different headspace before I go into my still toxic environment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's life, right? Yeah. I mean- <laughs> I would really like to quit that job, but yeah. I do have rent and Vancouver is very expensive to live in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as much as the commenters think you make a ton of money off of oh, yeah, no, paint like mixing I, videos I, on Instagram. I like I laughed so hard. There was one comment, my favorite one. It was like, like, I can't believe people do this and can afford like a fancy loft in Manhattan. I'm like, like what fancy loft in Manhattan? Are you serious? I don't live in Tribeca. Like, yeah. what's your problem? Come on. Like, I'm like, I'm living in kits in a rundown house with three other roommates. But yeah, absolutely. I make enough to afford an apartment in Tribeca. Uh, no. I'm like, come on. But uh, so I was feeling really betrayed by my practice because... I thought I was doing everything right. Yeah. And also, I I was under this illusion for a really long time that I was only dealing with, like, seasonal affective depression, where it was, it was, like, I only dealt with it in the wintertime and, like, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, like, October to February. Yeah. But it turned out, like, that year was, like, a turning point for me because I realized that all year round I deal with, like, a low-grade depression. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't really, or I had, like... <laughs> I had pushed beneath the surface so much that I had just ignored it. And it kind of just like reared its ugly head that last December. Yeah. And it was like, hey, I'm still here. And guess what? You suck. <laughs> like, like, it was like having someone like tap you on the shoulder and be like, hey, did you miss me? Um, You're a piece of shit. Yeah. That's <laughs> so- something I find uh, like with my own uh, anxiety and depression uh, that uh, whatever, I'll go in see a therapist deal with it and be like oh this is just like a thing that happens once or twice or here (laughs) or like in the winter I'm really stressed out right now and then like once it's solved after whatever three months or six months or however long I'm like at a specific therapist it's done like you're like I'm cured yeah (laughs) it's like I'm fixed now and then I just like as soon as I start neglecting that like self-care yeah and like knowing that it's in there as soon as I'm like oh it's gone it like comes back with a vengeance and it's like guess what I'm still here it doesn't matter you're awful everything's awful you can't do anything and yet you have to do everything right now yeah no yeah so I'm I'm lucky that I don't 
Um, I, I don't deal with anxiety on a frequent basis. I tend to only deal with anxiety when there's a situation that's like super out of my control. Like it's out of my control. I literally can't yeah. do anything about it. And that's when I get anxious. <laughs> like, Which is like the normal response which, to yeah. like things out but of it's like, control. But it's like out of control. Like I can't, I can't think straight mm-hmm. and I'm like stressed out and I want to fix what I can't fix because it's literally impossible. Mm-hmm. I did that when I was flying home from Boston. I couldn't check into my flight online. And this is like relatively new technology. Yeah. <laughs> and because I couldn't check in online, I thought there was something wrong with my reservation. So I was like calling Alaska Airlines and I was like calling like, er- the airport. I was doing everything I could. And like, of course, there's nothing wrong with my reservation. And I just have to check in at the airport because it's like passport verification. Yeah whatever doesn't matter i'm still freaking out i think that i can't sleep that night i think i'm gonna miss my plane i think i'm gonna be stranded in boston like i come up with all these scenarios like you're gonna be stuck in boston forever yeah (laughs) i guess this is where i live now i (laughs) yeah exactly uh, someone has to send me my things and or i just become a vagabond and this is like it this is my life like that's my mentality yeah just it's it's weird because in my day-to-day life when i'm dealing with like depression i if something goes wrong and it's just something little and I think like I can fix it or I can't fix it, it's when it's something like it feels catastrophic, mm-hmm. that's when my brain just like goes into overdrive and just says, well, like, I guess I'm just going to die. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. So this like so after I realized that just the way I had organized my studio practice had kind of betrayed me it was Mm -hmm. my own organization of the practice that betrayed me rather than the practice itself which was like a really revolutionary moment um what i tried to do with my day job is the what was so toxic about the morning shift was the constant bullying by a staff member um which at the time i didn't think i really realized how bad it was um but when you're when you have someone saying like i don't care to everything you say mm-hmm. and you have someone saying like um like i don't care about you literally just saying i don't care about you and you already have like a little voice inside you that says well you're a waste of oxygen anyway yeah. <laughs> like it really like piles up and that's what helped my depression it helped <laughs> my depression like rear its ugly head but also it is what provoked me to change my schedule at work which then because I changed my schedule at work, I had to come up with a new time to go to the studio. Couldn't go to the studio in the morning anymore mm-hmm. because now I work in the evenings. And I also changed where my studio was located. So I had a studio that was on Commercial Drive. For those of you unfamiliar with Vancouver, which I'm sure there's some of you. There's probably a couple. There's probably a couple. <laughs> uh, commercial Drive is a very colorful street. Um... I really like Commercial Drive. I quite like the the restaurants are great, shopping's great. I was like by Grandview Highway and Commercial, so it's a little like more run down. Mm-hmm. I was in a building next to a medical marijuana shop, <laughs> um, but like what isn't in Vancouver? But anyway, um, the whole building smelled like weed, and it was just like a like. The people I was sharing a space with, like, while some were great, some I just didn't see eye to eye with, and the whole thing, like, was just toxic. So I had a friend who was at the Arts Factory, which is my new studio space, and he's like, you you want to just share my space with me? Like, just come down. Like, we'll we'll cut it up. We'll divide it up. We'll give you 100 square feet. Just come down. Mm-hmm. Uh, can, you, can you be here right now? <laughs> and I was like, 
yeah, I can be there right now. So I <laughs> left. I texted my parents who I was meeting downtown for like dinner and I was like, I'm going to be late. <laughs> so I get to the studio. I sign like a 12 page license agreement. I write checks for money I don't have <laughs> and for a st- like for a studio space like like I needed. But I also the other one I hadn't rented out. It was like mid month. Mm-hmm. In the springtime. Yeah. It was like shortly after. Yeah, it was shortly after we met up. I was like, I need to get out of the space. Like it was just, the space was toxic. I was still had the toxic work environment mm-hmm. at this point. And I was like this, I have to take this opportunity. So I did it. It all paid off. Like, yeah. I'm so glad I did because I wouldn't be where I am probably if I had been in, I wouldn't have come up with the projects I did. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be doing the painting I'm doing. Um, everything would have been so different. But... I did it and that was like the first catalyst in changing like my mental state and kind of um, instead of (laughs) sounds so strange but instead of fighting with my depression I sort of like opened it with like open like welcomed it with open arms Mm -hmm. which sounds like completely insane but instead of like neglecting it pretending that it didn't exist um, pushing it beneath the surface I was just like no this is a part of me. I'm going to like welcome it with open arms and then I'm going to fight this with love instead of like neglect. Yeah. Which is the like really common thing I find with depression is people just pretend that it doesn't exist and because they don't want to talk about it because there's a stigma and because people who are depressed are just sad and they should probably just get some exercise and some endorphins because endorphins make you happy <laughs> like fuck off no that's not how it works like yeah like it's just the most annoying thing when people are like oh well like what do you have to be sad about mm-hmm. like you're so successful i'm like it's not about success it's not about success versus like failure it's not about um like where I live or what I do it's it's literally like I'm gonna be depressed even if I'm making a million dollars a year that's it's literally part of me Mm -hmm. so I need to accept that it's part of me in order to make it not control my life so that was like one of the really big shifts so I made that shift I also decided to stop going by like an alias (laughs) a couple years ago which helped as well because I was so afraid of who I was as a person and I think that brings us to imposter syndrome. Totally. Yeah. yeah. While we have our personal struggles with mental health, I also want to like, you know, open this up to a broader creative community feel. And I feel like um, depression, especially, um, at least for me, and as you say, is like that nagging voice that's like there and like, oh, garbage. No one cares about you. Uh, and you're like totally worthless um plays like incredibly well into imposter syndrome um that like I feel like as most creatives we deal with like this is a big you know am I gonna like make it as a creative or am I just garbage at what I do like uh one thing about art school is you like run into a lot of like shitty artists um and then I'm always afraid that I am one of them (laughs) yeah no I totally um it sucks because there's like there's a few different layers to that. So uh, let's start with art school. Yeah. Um, when you're in art school, I, what I find is, first of all, at least in some like I didn't actually experience this in Emily Carr because I, I transferred in um, into third year. But I did experience it. I have experienced it through 
um, other people from all over the world with um, when they're given a project to like emulate a contemporary artist. And I'm like, hmm, this is how that starts, though, Mm -hmm. because if you're taught that you need to do a painting and you need to pick somebody to do a painting like or to copy one of their paintings or whatever for educational. No, that first of all, that's copyright infringement. Let's just (laughs) get that out of the way um you you can do something in their voice but it has to be your own like subject material um that's totally allowed and you should really like touch base with the artist with that and i get people asking me all the time and i've seen some really incredible things that have come out of that um but this idea that to find your own voice you have to steal others or something Mm -hmm. it it kind of creates this idea that like you're not good unless you're doing something that's already been done for starters Mm -hmm. and that's like I find that that is really detrimental to the mentality that starts to build up to create that imposter syndrome so you go through art school and you're doing that unfortunately you're doing they're they're like oh well like this your work looks like so-and-so like you should look up so-and-so I mean Mm -hmm. It's frustrating to no end um, or when you have to give presentations, here are the artists that inspire me. Can't I just paint? Yeah. Like, and then later if I see similarities, I can, I can go, oh, okay, I see the similarities and I can take what I like from them or not, or just like discard it because it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. But then between that and having what I find professors, like they see the shitty artists, like they totally do. And they don't give them the time of day and they kind of like brush them off and they don't get harder critiques because in the eyes of some of the instructors, it's a lost cause. They're like, they're like, no matter what I do, you're not going to get better. So I'm going to put my focus on somebody who has potential. Mm-hmm. So then you have a an, an art professor or painting instructor, whatever, being really hard on you. Like it seems like necessarily unfair. Yeah. And so then you have them as your inner critic as well. So not only do you have your own inner critic, you have them. And then you have the concept that if you don't paint like so-and-so you're not going to be successful yeah um or design like so-and-so or whatever Mm -hmm. and all that brings you out into the real world and then the whole time you just second guess yourself you're like well like is this good Uh, do i even know what i'm doing Mm -hmm. like anytime anyone asks me for advice i have that crushing moment of like i don't even know what i'm doing (laughs) (laughs) like someone goes well had someone messaged me the other day this is a great example and they were like i'm really like i love your abstraction like how did you like who are you inspired by for your abstraction and i literally had no answer because i'm not i don't look at anybody for abstraction i'm mm-hmm. like i'm not even doing this right like i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> abstract art like what are you talking about like i make jokes about abstract art. i think provisional painting is like, like hilarious um it's like when you have like a big white uh, yeah anyone yeah. who doesn't know provisional painting is when you have like a big white canvas with like one brush stroke on it i think it's really funny (laughs) but um i also know that like to know where to put that brush stroke takes years of training (laughs) i i get it but i also think it's hilarious so when people say i don't get abstract art i get it i get why you don't get it yeah i i i get why you don't get it but the one i always remember is like modern art equals i could do that plus yeah but you didn't yeah so it is what it is (laughs) but that moment when people it's like debilitating. Like I, I feel like crushed and I'm like, oh my God, they're going to realize I'm a fraud. 
Like, I don't actually know what I'm doing. I'm not a real artist. Um, I have no idea how to paint. I can't teach anybody how to paint. Like, because I can't. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I tried. <laughs> no, I had a great time. <laughs> but like, I can't. Like, people ask me for workshops. I'm like, ah, no. Because <laughs> I really don't. I didn't learn how to show my skill to somebody else without <clears throat> relying on, like, I don't know, like, really what feels like really childish ways of showing someone how to paint. Mm-hmm. Or um, with, like, the abstraction thing. I'm like, it's just all experimentation. Like, they're like, where did you learn to, like, stack paint on a palette knife? No, I just literally sat in my studio and decided that what would happen if I put this, like, on this, on this, on this, and then stack the paint up, and then, hmm, look at that. Like, it literally, it's just what I chose to do. Yeah. It, I didn't like think, oh, this this will look like so-and-so's work because, I mean, there are people I really enjoy the abstract portions of their paintings. Like um, Andrew Salgado, he does like abstract portraiture as well. He, his is like the abstract pieces make a fully formed portrait. Okay. So it's, it's much different than mine. And then there's Jess Cochran who she's an Australian artist. She does, um, she takes uh, like photographs mm-hmm. of mo- and then she abstracts on top of them, like like almost like graffitis them mm-hmm. with like acrylic paint, I believe. Um, also very different from mine because she's dealing with an actual photograph of a person. So it's very obviously hyper-realistic yeah. with the abstraction over top. And I admire both of them, but do, do I like get my abstraction ideas from them? Not really because I do something very different. Yeah. Um, my colors are different. My theme is different. Like the way I like put the paint on that canvas is different. Like it's just everything. It's so different. And so it's really hard when people call attention to the fact that I feel like a fraud all the time. Like, <laughs> I feel like, oh, like it must be so great to be like famous. I'm like, please don't use that word. <laughs> I don't want to use that word because that makes it seem like I know what I'm doing. And I'm sure that this like stems to every other like creative like career, including like actors and musicians. Yeah. Just across the board. I mean, actors, you're literally faking what you're doing. Every yeah. single <laughs> I know. I can't imagine like I should really ask my friend Mark um, what what it's like to literally be faking what you're doing every day because you you are and yeah. in so many ways you're not like it's but to have someone be like so how do you act the way you act like i don't know I, <laughs> I went to school for a really long time and they said that i could do it okay bye <laughs> that's how i feel like i'm like i went to school for a really long time and they say that i'm allowed to paint like i don't yeah i don't know what it would be like i think i wonder and this could be a totally interesting study if people who are self-taught have that same mm-hmm. imposter syndrome or if they're like because they're so open about the fact that they were self-taught or are self-taught that people are like oh you're self-taught and that means you spent a long time learning and that's accept- like totally acceptable yeah. and welcome to the job that you're doing <laughs> i know like, that, i don't know like- but i wonder at the same time those people who are self-taught if they like feel like frauds because so many other people went to school out here went to school like I feel like going to school is such a a way of like validating yourself like even just like for yourself like uh before going to design school I went to photography school for a year just got like a little whatever diploma and stuff and 
uh, when I was telling people I was going to photography school, they're like, oh, what do you need to go there for? Like, what are you going to learn? It's like, oh, there's like a lot I'm going to learn. But I think really I just like wanted to prove to myself that like that you could do it yeah like I'm a creative and like I have a piece of paper that says so like <laughs> I went to a place and paid the money and did the time and now I like am I'm creative yeah. yeah I have two pieces of paper that say I am and I still feel like a fraud yeah I I went to it's funny because when I went to um cosmetology school like I went and got my ticket um so I have I have my license it's great because I like to change my hair a lot mm-hmm. and frankly like hair and makeup are just different forms of painting so when I went through that program and finished and got a job and worked as a stylist for years I didn't once have imposter syndrome like Hmm. because it was a trade or something Mm -hmm. like it just for me it just didn't it was illogical to feel like I was an imposter because it's a trade it's a skill it was learned it's it's like very black and white like this is what you do to get this color and that's mm-hmm. that why can't I have the same mentality as an artist why do I feel like people think I and I think part of it is like the stigma that creative careers whereas like a, being a hairstylist it's like a job yeah and people go that's a job and you went to school for that and that's cool and great it's like being an electrician you went to school that's great you can mm-hmm. do that because you have so many proofs that you can do that um and you worked as an apprentice and blah 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 <clears throat> but as an artist, in like all of its forms, it feels like people don't really take that job seriously to begin with. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you're an artist. Okay. And they won't, they don't even take the job itself seriously. So one of the things that I find very frustrating is I say, I'm going to work. And they go, oh, like, what time do you work? At- oh, no, no, I'm going to my studio. Oh, so you're like just going to go paint or whatever. It's still a job. Yeah. It's still work. I consider it a full-time job outside of my day job. I treat it as such. I have set hours that I work. Everything I do, it's a business. I file my taxes as a business. I am a business. Like, it is not... And I have to, like... It's like I have to tell myself that, too, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a business. I'm qualified to be a business. This is what I do. But because so many people take it as a joke, they, like... I've had people, like, text me and, like, put quotations around work. Like, oh, you're going to work. I'm like, fuck you. Do not do that. And I've called people. I've said, don't ever do that again. Yeah. Because it's actually a job. Like, it's a job. It's hard work. I show up at the studio even if I don't have anything to do. Why? Because it's a job. And even if I have nothing to do at day job, I still have to show up. It's my job. Um, And I think that that mentality just the idea that like what we do isn't really work totally lends itself mm-hmm. to the idea that we're all frauds. Yeah, I uh I don't know if I'd call them comedy podcasts, but they're podcasts by comedians. Uh I like listen to a ton of them because you know, similar veins of like people who are messed up in the brain, but we like do our work and that's how we deal with it. Yeah. Uh, is like the theme of a lot of them. Um and like one thing that comes up often is this idea of like when you work in something that's seen as like enjoyable or like you know like comedy or mm-hmm. painting or Acting. art anything like that it's like see like delegitimizes like oh because you want to be here then it's not it's not work and it's like no I like I don't know why I can't 
like my job and it still be hard work. Like I still would rather be doing other things sometimes. But And there are people who like dreamed of and love to be fucking astronauts and nobody says that their work isn't work. Like mm-hmm. what the fuck? Yeah. I, I didn't like it's I get it. Like I paid like an enormous amount of money to go to school to have a lot of debt to like essentially do something for fun is like Mm-hmm. the mentality but it's hard work yeah like it's not easy work at all like going in and struggling to create something that you think other people first of all you're creating something that you care about that other people have to care about and i think it's the same for communication design even if you're designing for another business you're creating something that has to resonate with the business that has to resonate with other people and you have to be passionate about it. Otherwise, none of that's going to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's this like, it's so much more complex than most people give it credit for. And I get it. Like people think, oh, like I, I almost understand. I have a hard time grasping why anyone would like think that communication design isn't a real job. But I totally for some reason can understand why people think like being a painter isn't a real job mm-hmm. i get it like owning art is a luxury it is it absolutely is so i'm catering to this percentage of people who either make it a priority because they choose to buy art and prints and that instead of like vacationing mm-hmm. and whatever other priority that they want to have um or the people who just literally have enough, like, affluence or whatever to buy work whenever they feel like it. Yeah. Like, that's great. I mean, but most of the people I sell to are the first group. They've just prioritized owning art because it makes them feel something. Mm-hmm. So I'm literally selling emotion, which is, <laughs> like, way more complex than I could ever – like, they don't teach you that in art school. Yeah. Like, they leave that part out. They leave out the part where, like, you're actually just selling people emotion. Like, it's this, um, it's this, like, science fiction ver- version of, like, Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. that came out, at, like, on the sci-fi network, where Wonderland is literally just a place where they sell emotion. And you can buy, like, love. You can buy wealth. You can buy, like jealousy you can buy whatever and you drink it and that's your so i'm literally that person yeah. i'm the dealer like i'm <laughs> selling you emotion i'm selling you feeling i'm selling you like something to believe in and it's it's all this like intangible stuff yeah that i'm selling through a physical object and they don't yeah they leave that part out <laughs> <laughs> they don't mention like in order to like properly sell work people have to have like an emotional reaction to it because, yeah, like, generally speaking, like, there are going to be those people who buy work because it's an investment or they buy mm-hmm. work because, you know, the art market told them to or <laughs> whatever. But those people have lots of money and that's, like, that's how they, like, handle their money. But people who make art a priority, you have to make them feel something. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, and that I see is a, like, the same as, like, musicians who are starting out people have to feel something when they Mm -hmm. listen to your music so you're also selling emotion um people who work in communication you you were literally trying to communicate 
a feeling to them. Yeah. So they buy, say, a product like an advertisement or they or they like go and give that business patronage because they were like, ah, oh, I like what that business stands for. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's funny that like you say they don't teach you that in art school uh, where like on the design side of our art school, you like totally get taught that like you totally get taught that you're like you're selling a feeling via you know in communication design like a brand or yeah, like traffic emotion like there's <laughs> um i remember one process we learned and like i was like one of the most helpful things i learned from an instructor is when you go into like a client meeting you bring in um like mood drivers like they're not mood boards they're like word drivers mixed with mood boards so it's just like words like hope and like whatever you want like passion yeah you want like Love. to emote you write those words down in like whatever the fonts you're thinking of using and then you put like images you're thinking of using yeah. next to it and like you sell that so like you have like three whatever distinct paths sometimes you're yeah. like say we're selling whatever something that's like sustainable so it's like oh we're like selling you know really like green living and like viable futures or we're selling like down to earth like roots like hands in the soil kind of feeling or we're selling like you know high sustainable like world of the future kind of stuff yeah. like you're learning to sell those sell feelings and ideas yeah it's so interesting because they definitely on the on the art side they don't touch base on that and it's something it's and i think if they did like or if, you know, if you got to talk to more professionals in your field throughout art school mm -hmm. or just throughout life, that you might not feel like such an imposter because it turns out it's just so common. Everyone feels that way. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, this I this one, like, book by Danielle Krissa that I really want to read is her new one. Like, Your Inner Critic is a Picture. Mm -hmm, yeah. Because, like, her TED Talk was really, really good on that. And I really enjoyed listening to it because it really, it does address that, like, that feeling of self-doubt, which is really what the imposter syndrome is, like, rooted in is mm -hmm. that self-doubt and your inner critic just basically telling you you suck. Yeah. Because they're, like, really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're really good at that. I, I like... I would say, like, my inner critic was probably, like, Jerry Saltz, like, <laughs> constantly, like, telling me painting is dead. <laughs> but I, uh, that, that man's actually, like, so funny. But, <laughs> um, I, I think that, like, being able to tackle that inner critic and therefore also the imposter syndrome at the same time is so important as a creative, but it's, it's such it's so difficult to find out what works for you because it won't always mm -hmm. work for everybody else. It's sort of the same as mental health. Like what works for me is not going to work for you. Yeah. And the only thing like I found to kind of combat the imposter syndrome, like when I have people are like, yeah, I, I want to know what you know. And like, I'm like, I'm not qualified. <laughs> that's what I feel like. I'm not qualified to teach. So when people are saying to me like, oh, can you teach me how to do this? I'm like, I'm not qualified to teach. But that's not, that's me not wanting to teach. So instead of saying things like I'm not qualified or like I'm not, I try to use like more definitive positive statements. Mm -hmm. So when someone says, I'd really like to take a workshop with you. Do you offer workshops? Instead of saying like, well, I'm not qualified to teach, but if you'd like to take a class, like, please see like 
continuing ed classes at your local university or like whatever. I just say like, I'm not teaching workshops at this time. Yeah. Because it's what it really comes down to is like, I'm frankly, I'm not interested in teaching workshops. So, but instead of just owning the fact that I'm completely capable of teaching mm-hmm. a workshop, <laughs> first of all, I'm, I'm capable of doing it. I actually do have teaching experience. Um, I just literally don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's a desire I do not have. And, but you're always like, you want to go, oh, like, I can't do it because I'm, I'm not qualified. Or, oh, they'll just realize I'm a fraud. Well, no, they won't. You probably know something they don't, and you might learn something that they know that you don't. And mm-hmm. that's great, and that's what teaching should be. But I don't want to. So, <laughs> so instead, I just, like, learn to say, just to say no for because I don't want to. Yeah. Or, like, just I'm not teaching workshops at this time. Really easy. Um, when someone asks me now, like, where do you get your, like – palette knife stroke inspiration from i say i experimented until i found something i liked i don't seek out abstract inspiration mm-hmm. point blank that's yeah. exactly what it is and it doesn't mean that by them knowing that i'm somehow less qualified to do what i do it just means that i went upon in like learning what i did a different way than like the traditional i did self-taught for my abstraction mm-hmm that's life that's how it works and that's great (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i think like having those like more like positive statements when you're kind of confronted with that moment where you're like i'm whatever i say they're gonna know that i'm a fraud i just stop thinking that way and start thinking like they're obviously asking me because they think i'm qualified so i'm not a fraud Mm -hmm. i'm gonna just answer the question yeah to the best of my abilities. Yeah. Right? And because I'm not, I'm never going to know everything. Like, I'm always learning. Like, I'm learning something new all the time. Like, I would like to embark on these, like, text pieces. But I was like, oh, how do I, like, I, I need some, like, frisket paper. And then, like, how do I stencil it out? And then I had one of my studio mates just say, like, why don't you go buy vinyl lettering from Staples? And I was like, ah, uh, duh. Of course. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I didn't think of that. Because I didn't think of that because I'm not a screen printer. But I have so much I can learn from a screen printer. Mm-hmm. Or from someone in printmaking. Or from someone who does text work. Like, there are people who do all sorts of things that you can learn from. Doesn't like her saying that didn't suddenly invalidate my identity as an artist. Yeah. <laughs> it just taught me something new. So I think for me, I don't think I'm ever going to completely conquer the imposter syndrome. But I have like some pretty good ways to battle it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, that's that's all you can kind of do is like accept like we said earlier except that it's there and (laughs) don't neglect it and address it and like you said just like be like I guess I I know the answer because you're asking me the question so yeah and I think there's like a lot of power and also like not knowing the question like the answer yeah just being like I don't know I'm still learning like yeah and I'm really like I'm really um up front with people when they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to I can say, well, this is what I do. However, there are like multiple ways to do this. And 
you may find something else that works as well. Mm -hmm. Because like what I do, like how I clean my brushes, how I clean my palette, guess what? Like even in art school, I learned about five different ways to do that. (laughs) I'm sure there was more. Yeah. (laughs) The way I clean my brushes, like I use mineral spirits. And then if I've left the paint or the pigment is like really dark, I use turpentine because mineral spirits is just like a little too weak. And people are always giving me crap for using like turpentine. And I'm like, but sometimes I need to. Yeah. And because I and I know like you can get the special blocks of brush cleaner, magic brush soap Mm -hmm. or whatever. Those don't always work either. Like, I mean, and I also like I'm so upfront when anyone asks me questions about acrylic. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Like I use oil. Um, This is the acrylic paint I've used. I frankly, I only painted with it for a year. Yeah. And I know nothing like I was trained in oil. Um, I've worked with both like water miscible and traditional oil paint. Um, that's it. Like, I don't, I don't know acrylic. I, I tried to know acrylic and I got ripped to shreds Yeah, because when I painted in acrylic, the first thing I was told is this should be an oil. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, thank you to the professor that told me that because mm-hmm. it, the work I was making did need to be in oil because yeah. of the types of layering I was doing. But the acrylic paint, like I, I love the idea of it, but <laughs> I'm just not good at it. Can't do it. Yeah, like, totally. The only thing acrylic was good for is creating a four by four foot painting in one day. <laughs> like, because like, I'm just waiting for a layer to dry and then I'm going to keep painting. Yeah. And I was using like liquid acrylics. So they're really thin. They dry really mm-hmm. fast. And yeah, I, I finished that whole painting in one day. And I like, I'm very proud of myself for that fact. However, that painting should have been in oil. <laughs> so should have taken more like eight weeks. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, like I, anytime someone asks me about acrylic, I'm just like, I have an idea. Like, I can't, I can't help you. I can help you with like certain things. I can't help you with everything. Um, I know some like basic information about acrylic, <laughs> but not enough, not just not enough. Like it's so, what I know about acrylic is like a grain of rice in comparison <laughs> to what I know about oil. So, totally. but yeah, I mean, just answering questions when I can answer them has really helped change my perspective on like, I'm not a fraud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I want to like run around the block being like, I'm a real artist. <laughs> 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 like, I don't know. It's, it does feel like that, especially when all those like news feeds picked me up. Yeah. I just like the whole time I was like, I don't know why they're doing this. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Like they're insane. Like I had people, I had like one publication asked me to like give tips on paint mixing and I was like lol (laughs) (laughs) like first of all make sure you have something to paint because otherwise you're like insanely wasteful yeah aside from that like go for it like I don't know like what do you want me to tell you Mm -hmm. it's like it's just it's part of my process it's not like yeah it's so it's it's funny like I had a good laugh the whole like the whole time when people asked me for like information and I'm like I really like I'm not the I constantly felt like the imposter syndrome when people were asking me why I thought the paint mixing videos were popular because I'm like I'm not a psychologist like (laughs) I'm not qualified to give you an answer to this like Mm -hmm. I can give you some guesses I can give you what I've noticed in my comments but I can't actually give you an answer like I can't give you the answer that I'm envisioning that you're desiring because and I think that is part of the imposter Mm -hmm. syndrome like I think you're envisioning a certain answer 
I can't give you that. Yeah. But they're not. They're just asking for the sake of asking. Yeah. And it took me a while to like realize they're just asking for the sake of asking. Just answer the goddamn question. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the same with like when people um, approach you for work and you're like, uh, like I have this idea of what you're coming to me for and I don't think I can do that. But then at the end of the day, like they're coming to you for work because you can do it. Like, yeah. Not because they think you can like think you can't do it but they may as well give it a try like yeah no one no one approaches like if i am asking like a photographer to take headshots i'm not asking them that because i think that they're incapable (laughs) (laughs) you know like like, you're not gonna be able to do this but i'm gonna see if you'll give it a good shot yeah totally (laughs) like i'm not gonna do that i'm not gonna go if i needed like a new website and i was too lazy to do it myself i'm not gonna go to a design firm and be like i need a new website if you can do it. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess you guys, you say you can do it. Like, let's but, see if you're, let's see if you can put your but money But do you your mean it? Is. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's just like, I, it's that idea, like, I'm not going to, like, I think it's best to use, like, a non-creative job as a great analogy for this. I'm not going to go to an accountant <laughs> and ask them to do my taxes if I don't think they can do it. Yeah. And, like, honestly, why would I think that they can't do it? No, no accountant is going to sit there and be like, oh, I can't believe they're asking <laughs> to do their taxes. Like, what if I can't do this? This is yeah. insane. Like, I'm an imposter. I'm yeah. a fraud. Like, you're going to pay me the real amount of money I ask for to, <laughs> to do this? Like, I think I've tricked you. I've- yeah. Oh, I felt that way just recently. Like, I, um, I guess this will probably be launched after the first image goes up. So um, I got approached by Guinness the beer company Mm -hmm. to interpret the way that their beer pours the surging and settling Mm. into a painting, two paintings actually. And they asked for a quote. So I gave them the quote and the whole time I was thinking like, I'm way overcharging these guys. (laughs) Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, this is insane. Like I don't work with brands. And then, (laughs) and they were like, yeah, sounds good. Like (laughs) we'll give you a purchase order. And I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) But, um, like, that whole time I was feeling like I was a fraud. I yeah. was like, I don't know what they're thinking. Like, why did they choose me? This is insane. But then, you know, after I overcame it that first time, I had another brand message me being like, hey, do you work with brands? Like, can you give us a quote on a project? And I was like, I do work with brands, but it depends on the nature of the project. Blah, blah, blah. It was a completely different mentality mm-hmm. because I had already conquered that like, I don't know what I'm doing, yeah. monster. Like, yeah. <laughs> but it's that, like, I, you know, you feel like a fraud because you're like, you're, I'm, I gave you a quote, and you're gonna pay it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you're gonna pay me the money that I, I that I asked for. Yeah. Really? Sometimes I feel like you're I'm not taking, saying it's just for exposure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking such a shot in the dark with quotes as well, where I'm like, uh, I don't know. I guess I can like do it in this amount of time and like this much money. Like, not when I'm like at my day job, but no. like. You know, sometimes people come to me for like small projects. It's like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And they're like, yeah, it sounds great. It's like, it's like, uh, okay. Like, and, then, <laughs> and then when people say that sounds great, my first instinct usually is like, did I undercharge them? Yeah, totally. But then I'm like, no, like I really put some like, especially for like a quote on a project, I put some really careful thought into it. Yeah. I really think it through and give them a quote and I'm not going to give them I'm not going to be like oh it's Guinness I'm going to overcharge them no I'm going to give them the same that I would charge any other commission piece Mm -hmm. they ask for a commission I'm charging them for a commission I'm charging them for two photographs yeah 
And that's that. And that's what I'm charging them. And that's life. And they said, yes. So they agree with my assessment of my work. That's Mm -hmm. fantastic. I think that's how it should be. That's a a beautiful transaction and everything should be like that. Yeah. But there's this all this like self-doubt. Like, I don't know if they're like sitting in their office being ha ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) They're probably not. They're probably like, that was that was good. Like, we're good. It's like a reasonable price. This was right in our budget. This is fantastic. Like, we didn't have to negotiate life is easy like <laughs> yeah i've seen it from the other side where at, at my um my like job um we whatever sometimes hire artists for photography or illustration or whatever and they're like artists they're not like Designer. i mean they're professionals but they're not like you know a studio professional photographer they like shoot beautiful images and they do it full time but like they don't have the business behind them and they quote you incredibly low. And then we will be come back to them and be like, just so you know, we can offer you a bit more. Yeah. Thank you for your work. Here's what we're offering you. And like, that's always great when you can like offer them. Yeah. And I think that it's like, I, you know, especially when it comes to creative industries, there's this idea that like, it is like the thing should be free or that, mm-hmm. um, that you're like undercharging or overcharging all the time because you are trafficking emotions. Yeah. That's what it is. And how much is the emotion that you're selling worth to the person who's buying it mm-hmm. and all of that. And it's just, that is because you're dealing with like intangible things. It It is that like, am I, am I a fraud? Mm-hmm. Because why am I, why am I selling romance? You know, <laughs> like if like, I'm not a romantic person, I'm yeah. selling romance. I frankly like I'm selling I'm selling like the dark side of romance but I'm not a particularly romantic person like I keep everybody at like relatively arm's length Mm -hmm. and I push away like perfectly healthy relationships (laughs) (laughs) like I I mean great I give myself a lot of material to work from but like (laughs) yeah I like to keep my emotions like really like pushed out of the way like I like to be fully in control of my emotions Part of that's probably my like Myers Briggs personality type. That all of that, like I dislike emotions. Yeah, and yet I traffic emotions. <laughs> like that's my job. I sell you a feeling mm-hmm. because I probably sell you the feelings that I don't want. That's <laughs> like I'm like, oh, love. Like, okay, yeah. let's see, we'll buy that. <laughs> like, no, like I just. I and I and it's funny because I like I paint with all like the romantic colors like yeah. the pastels and the pinks and purples and I'm like basically selling you Valentine's Day 365 days a year <laughs> and I hate Valentine's Day like I hate Valentine's Day I hate romance I hate like everything like that and I'm like but here you should buy it yeah <laughs> like just, it's not it's just because I like I like the idea of love and I think I'm also selling that I'm selling the idea of blank mm-hmm. so it's just really funny because like I do like I think that all of that lends itself to the imposter thing because people are like like yeah this piece like post-coital like tell me about that I'm like well like you know like that moment like after you've like had like a really amazing orgasm yeah that moment that's <laughs> like, and then I had like a friend point out like oh there's all this like all these dark colors in the in the painting like is that like was that intentional like in terms of like kind of invoking that feeling like that darker side of that moment and I'm like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like the darker side where it's like, get the fuck out of my house. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
or like please leave me alone like don't touch me like all of those (laughs) absolutely because like everybody reacts to that moment differently and I personally don't want to be touched like Mm -hmm. after and so it's like it is dark like it's a dark moment like you I've got somebody like wrapping their arms around me and I'm like oh my god don't (laughs) (laughs) and but I'm I but because I can like convey it in such a like a a beautiful way that people kind of can like glaze past that Mm -hmm. and I think that the longer you look at my work the more you see that it's a little bit more like convoluted complicated and dark than you Mm -hmm. give it credit for when you look at it initially like i had i had someone like stand in my space during the culture crawl for like 40 minutes and they're like the longer i look at these the more uncomfortable i am (laughs) (laughs) and he's like i was attracted because like bright colors and yeah he was but i'm looking at these and i'm like something dark (laughs) and I'm like good I'm glad that you're seeing that because I am working on that because I bring I use the bright colors to bring you in Mm -hmm. and then you're like oh it's pretty and like and then the longer you look the more you realize that like all is not what it seems yeah so I guess like yeah I'm just like one big fraud (laughs) but for so many you're selling fraud I'm selling like fraudulent emotions (laughs) But I think that's part of like, you know, you know, quelling those emotions, at least like personally for me, like, uh, I don't know, like I read a lot about whatever emotions and like mental health and stuff. And, uh, you know, you're like supposed to feel your feelings and you're not supposed to like you're just and like mindfulness and like just let everything. It's like, no, I like I control these things, not just like for myself and like whatever for my own being, but like. I need to know how to evoke certain feelings or evoke certain emotions. And so, like, I constantly study within myself how things feel and, like, what needs to, like, not be here and what needs to be, like, projected mm-hmm. uh, for my own creative practice or, like, and for my own, like, mental health practice. Like, yeah. who gets to see what and why and when and how. And maybe that's, like, you know, a bit crazy. But at the same time, it's, like... No, I mean, that's why I'm so interested in color. I think so the science behind color and why certain colors, I mean, they teach you like the basics in art school, like when Mm -hmm. you put two colors next to each other, like how you can get like a vibrating effect or in contrast, you can dull it completely and all of that, but also like the way certain colors make you feel like high high key which is what i'm using Mm -hmm. like high key pale colors generally are pleasing to the eye (laughs) but i like to combine those with like the really garish neons because those are not as pleasant to the eye (laughs) i mean it's people are attracted to them um because it's something bright and colorful but next to the pastels it can be a little uncomfortable Mm -hmm. especially because you have this like really calming area like interrupted by something brash um and all of that like I, i'm so fascinated by color and how it can change the way you feel about something um but also knowing that if i paint something really dark in those colors that people may not necessarily mm. notice it right away which is kind of how everything is period <laughs> like that's how an identity is that's how who you are as a person is like what you present out front people see one thing and there's like a whole different issue going on underneath like lots of people 
were very surprised when I was so open about my depression. Lots of people had no idea I was depressed. I was like, I personally think like there's like this big neon sign on my forehead, mm-hmm. like struggles with depression, tried to offer self last yeah. year, like, flashing neon letters like at the world like i feel like i'm carrying around a picket sign that was like i tried to kill myself like but that's not what it is like i don't it's not as obvious as i think it is mm-hmm. like i spend so much time trying to make it less obvious that most people don't even know it exists mm-hmm. and the only people do it's because i've like literally sat next to them and been like p.s yeah <laughs> just so you know yeah and it's like at this point i'm so open about it i think i've told like everybody mm-hmm. that Sometimes I still, like, drop a bomb, like, so, like, not, like, I don't mean to, but, like, I had a friend who was, like, oh, like, how are things going, blah, 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 and I was, like, oh, yeah, December's really hard for me, but that's okay, and she was, like, oh, like, why is it hard, like, too much, like, did you take on too much work, and I'm, like, well, that's part of it, like, I took on way too many projects at the studio, and, and, like, I'm not happy at work, my day job, and, like, it's, like, the one-year anniversary of my suicide <laughs> <laughs> Threw it yeah. in there. And she's like, wait, what? Like, I'm pretty sure I knew none of this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I honestly, like, I've tricked myself into believing that I've told everybody who's mm-hmm. close to me. And then because I was so public about it, I just assume everybody knows now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's out there for everyone to see. So yeah. everybody must have seen it. But <laughs> that's not how Facebook works. There's an algorithm. <laughs> like, no, I mean, yeah, it's a public post. And yeah, people who I don't even know know about it. Yeah. But like, there's definitely it's like it's not as easy to spot yeah. in a news feed as I think it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I'm like always telling people and I'm just like throwing it in because I, I, I totally know that it makes people uncomfortable to hear those words. But at the same time, if I want it to be something that anyone who is struggling with depression to be able to talk about, people need to stop squirming when they hear mm-hmm. like something about suicide or like like one of my biggest like pet peeves is when there's an article and it's like so and so committed suicide and I'm like committed like fuck you like it's not it's not like this it makes it sound so different than what it is mm-hmm. it is like they lost their battle with depression like yeah. let's literally just call it they lost their battle with depression this isn't like committed suicide makes it sound like like it's this unforgivable act and selfish and it comes with all these other connotations and I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And I just I've noticed that that's those articles that usually makes it seem like like, oh, like we thought they were so happy. It's like mm. it doesn't matter if you thought they were so happy. They clearly weren't. Like, yeah. And if they reached out to like ask you for help and you didn't do anything about it. Like, if someone says, like, I'm having a really hard time or, like, I'm, like, I'm feeling really down right now or, like, anything like that, like, don't take those things lightly mm-hmm. for starters. Like, you don't know if they're having a really hard time because, like, they were laid off from work or if they're having a really hard time because they're literally struggling with not k- trying to kill themselves every day. Like, you don't know because people tend to sugarcoat when they ask for help, especially with, like, mental health. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. It's hard uh, just, yeah, with depression and, and mental health things because, you know, whatever, the stigma and everything, I'm not going to go into it because everyone knows it. Um, and those who don't should really just use Google. Yeah, just, but, like, there's entryways into knowing. Um, 
but yeah like mental health like especially depression which is like not that rare uh, especially like up here where like there's seasonal affective disorder like so much of the year because we get no sun um or like people yeah just having a hard time and like trying to reach out but not knowing like how do you casually say to someone you care about like oh yeah you know i'm like having a hard time uh i just think about dying like every minute of the day (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's just like i yeah and i still struggle with those thoughts absolutely so um, and I, I talked to like one of my, one of my friends, I like, I'm trying not to say anybody's name because like, obviously yeah. everybody has their own <laughs> personal struggle and I don't want anyone who listens to be like, bitch, I told you that. In <laughs> but like, I know that lots of people struggle with these same feelings. Yeah. But I had a friend say to me, like, I don't know how to talk about it with friends because I feel like everybody wants the casual, easygoing, no stress friend. And if you say like. I'm I'm struggling with depression. I need help getting out of the house. Mm-hmm. You become like in your own mind a burden to those people. But and I what I said to her is like, well, if they really care about you, you're not going to be a burden. Yeah. Like and I know it's scary to find out if they really care about you, but I can guarantee that they do. Mm-hmm. Like it's like anyone you consider a really good friend is is going to understand. If you're like, I need help getting out of the house. So if I say I don't want to go out, keep bugging me. Mm-hmm. Like you may not, you may, you may have to like hold your friend's hands a little bit and guide them into how to handle the situation. But they're your friends and they're they're the family you choose. So like mm-hmm. they, they'll be there for you in in those moments, especially if you, you know, and if they're like, I'm here to listen take them up on that Mm -hmm. don't don't be like oh well like i don't want to talk about it because like then i'm gonna make them sad i'm like (laughs) no like depression isn't contagious yeah so you're not gonna make them sad and if you choose not to talk about it they're gonna just be worried about you because that's Mm -hmm. how that works like they'll be worried and more worried and more worried and then before you know it like They'll be showing up at your house because you didn't answer your phone for four hours. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I've, you know, I've been, I lived with someone who struggled with suicide all the time. And anytime she didn't answer her phone, like, oh, yeah, you better believe I showed up at her house. Yeah. Like, when we moved apart from each other, like, I would be like, uh, no, like, yeah. and if I couldn't be there, I'd call her parents. <laughs> Like, I know, and she'd be so mad at me. <laughs> like, if she had, like, if she was trying to, like, if she was feeling, like, suicidal and was, like, really open about that. Mm-hmm. And I would, like, be, like, calling her brother and being, like, yo, you need to go over there right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and they would, and then they'd, like, take her away and not let her be on her own. She'd be, like, super mad at me for, like, yeah. three days. But she'd get over it. Because, really, like, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't do something. Mm-hmm to stop that yeah but yeah like how do you talk to your friends about it how do you be like today i was like walking on commercial drive and i just thought how nice it would be if like a car just took me out yeah. <laughs> that's definitely a thought yeah, yeah. that crosses my mind all the time i'm like wouldn't it be nice if like this bus just like took me out yeah. like, <laughs> what a, like i could do the dishes or i could just die instead like <laughs> Like, oh, like, you know, it would be really fun. Like, if I leaned over this railing and it just, like, collapsed. Oh, and I'd, like, like, but, I mean, it's insane. Like, yeah. Like, I definitely, like, when I used to drive from, um, on Vancouver Island from, like, 
Mid Island to Victoria, mm-hmm. and you're on the Malahat, and there's that one area that doesn't really have a guardrail. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, what if I just like swerve my car over yeah. that way? Like, but then I'm like, you know what? With my luck, I'd probably be alive at the end. Like, there's like, always <laughs> that like you're like, uh, it's, I guess this is like not as bad as like if it doesn't work. Like, <laughs> no, it's just this like bizarre. Yeah, it's like, uh, and then there's just like a mess to clean up. And, like, someone has to find me. And, like, uh. <laughs> It just seems like a lot of work on top of like just I'll just do the thing. I'll just like I'll just do the dishes. Yeah, I just like you know, you know, I'll leave the house and it'll be fine. Like, it's, so yeah, it is that like it's really hard to talk about mm-hmm. it, and it's funny because like funny like not haha, but like funny is like, <laughs> funny is like amusing to those who also struggle with depression is that you tend to just make, like, really dark jokes yeah. like, all the time. Like, I had a friend the other night. She's like, hey, do you, like, what are you doing tonight? Do you want to get a drink? And I was like, well, I was planning to slip my wrist tonight. The <laughs> drink sounds good. And she just was like, ha, ha, ha. Like, because she knows I was, like, kidding. But, like, yeah. also because I was saying, yeah, I'm really depressed right now. I need to get out of the house. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Like, that's what that translated to. Yeah, totally. But, like, instead, I just, like, made some, like, debilitating joke that is so, like, self-deprecating and so awful. And, like, why did I say that? And to the wrong person, I'm going to get, like, a police officer showing up at my house yeah. and being like, okay, ma'am, I heard you were trying to slit your wrist. Yes. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, but- yeah. And then you, like, always have to, like, play out, like, are you the right person that, like, I can make this? Like, I have in my life, I've got, like, my crazy friend. And it's, like, the one person I can always go to and be, like, hey, like, I feel really, like, shitty right now. And, uh, like, just put, like, everything out on the table and, like, either in a joking way or, like, in a, like, serious way. And they always come. It's, like, that back and forth, like, oh, I can be, like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I, like, can't get out of bed and everything's useless and I'm the worst. And they're, like, yeah, 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 that's fine. Uh, Go take a shower. Like, (laughs) just can you, like, just go do the thing? But sometimes they come back, like whatever they disappear from social media for three days it's like all right are you dead or are you like taking a break so i have to like call and be like are you dead or are you taking it like yeah there's always those people who are like you turn to uh but yeah. yeah so the thing is with especially with depression it's like i'm not if i'm like so the night that i tried to kill myself i sure as hell didn't tell anybody like i didn't make any jokes i didn't like even reach out to a friend and say like i'm feeling really down right now I think I said something to a friend like, okay, see you tomorrow. Like, yeah. <laughs> I like, I made plans for the next day. Like, I went about everything like it was totally normal. Even though I, I was, I had like this plan in my head. Like I had taken all these Advils and like, I was like belt in my blood and like, <laughs> like all this like idea in my head before I like tried to kill myself and waking up alive was like the worst ever. I will, I will say like, when I woke up that morning and had to work at the job that I hate Ugh. with the person that was making me so miserable, I woke up and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I was like, I can't even do this right. Like I was so like, it was so disheartening. And I remember Googling like waking up alive because like <laughs> I was like, what? There's a whole website. There's a support group <laughs> for people who tried and woke up alive. Yeah. And they are just like, how do you handle that type of failure Mm -hmm. because really when you're depressed and you deal with that like failure all the time or feeling like a failure 
dealing with the failure of trying to end it is like a complete mindfuck. Like, how did you fail at this too? Like, you failed at everything. You can't even fail. Like, you can't even like succeed at dying. Like, what is wrong with you? And I remember waking up and just feeling like so awful. And then realizing that I was going to have to reach out to people and tell them what I had done because I needed the help to like reclaim my life at that point because I felt really lost because I was like I'm supposed to be dead right now like (laughs) my week wasn't planned because I wasn't supposed to be alive like that whole that whole mentality is so different and it's there's this like misconception that people like often people who write us like write us there's a lot of failed suicides that write suicide notes but a lot of the like success suicides there's no note Mm -hmm. and it's not because people don't want to like say goodbye to their loved ones or whatever it's because they don't want anyone to stop them yeah that's like you don't tell people because they'll try to stop you so i yeah okay i make a joke about like offing myself i'm probably not gonna do it that night because like i just told you and you'll probably stop me (laughs) (laughs) um but i the reason i'm telling you is because because it stops yeah. me as well yeah like and that's the that's the missing link is like i tell you that i'm really struggling and very suicidal because i know if i tell you the chances of me going through with it drop immensely mm-hmm. because now you know and i know that you know that it's on my mind so if i stop responding to texts you're gonna be worried yeah so now i need to be like <clears throat> Like, more, I don't know, communicative or mm-hmm. whatever. But because I said something, it just reduces the risk. But knowing who to tell yeah, is, like, huge. And, yeah, that's why, like, for me, most of the time I just go to my studio. Because, like, my paintings don't care. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, cool, like, you feeling suicidal? How about some pink? Yeah. <laughs> You know, earlier with making things better, like there's a lot of steps between getting out of bed and going to the art supply store and getting Mm -hmm. paid. There's a lot of steps between getting out of bed and killing yourself. Like there's and like writing a note or telling a friend like that's just one more step that could potentially deter you from doing it. Yeah. Sometimes when it's like hard to get out of bed, like whatever, it's just like I got to get out of bed and I have to do one thing. And it's just like I just have to take a shower. But like you put so many steps between yourself and that shower. It's like, okay, well then I have to like open my eyes and then I have to take the blanket off and then I have to take my clothes off and then I have to turn the shower on and then I have to get in. And so like, so it's that same process of like, okay, if I'm going to do this, then I have to like, you know, get supplies and, you know, actually do it and like make sure everything's okay. And that one, like, you know, that whole time you're like trying to, you're also trying to not convince yourself to not do it in a way. Yeah, there are, like, a ton of steps. And I think that, like, generally speaking, people forget that um, even just, like, reaching out, saying that you're feeling down in, like, whatever manner really does, like, because now your phone goes off and now you have to check your phone and now you have to respond to a text message. And damn, you told them that you're feeling suicidal. So 
<laughs> like all of those like little things now are like extra barriers to even like for some time like even just like taking a shower but like yeah but like let alone like going to the store and buying like every single thing in the medicine aisle yeah. <laughs> and or like going to the store and buying fresh razor blades or like whatever mm-hmm. like and not and then like having like because mentally you're gonna be like well now i'm gonna have to deal with like the look from the cashier so then you like buy things you don't need like you get <laughs> home hardware and you're like okay well here are the razor blades <laughs> <laughs> i guess i need sponges yeah i guess like, like or like what else do i buy like do i buy like just like a hammer and <laughs> some like nails because then it looks like less fucked up like yeah. <laughs> i can't just buy razor blades they might look at me funny but really they're not gonna look at you funny because people go in for razor blades all the time yeah <laughs> it's like a normal thing to buy at a hardware store, store. Yeah. yeah yeah so those <laughs> barriers can like be really um really difficult when you're trying to you know do something good but or when you're trying to do something bad <laughs> but yeah but awful when you're trying to do something bad but like stand in the way and like literally if yeah someone's like reaching out in like a joking way or yeah um i mean i wouldn't be like put them on suicide watch like that serious <laughs> but just be like hey like i i don't know i feel like if anyone were to do this to me it'd be like ah, go fuck yourself like yeah i'm not like it's fine i'm fine um but it's just like nice to hear from like I think, like, if somebody, like, if I, I think if I made a joke about, like, killing myself to a friend, like, the thing I'm going to want to hear most is, like, laughter, Mm because, like, I am making a sort of joke, but then, like, if you, if you need to talk, I'm here. Yeah. And that's, like, just the offer that you're there to listen to me is sometimes, like, all you really need. Like, you don't need... I don't need you to like psychoanalyze me and I don't need you to like think that I'm so fragile that I can't handle my affairs or anything like that. I just need you to offer to listen. And if I take you up on that, great. And if I don't, don't get offended. Yeah. Like that's, you know, because like I'm not comfortable talking to everyone about every little voice that comes into my head that'll tell me like how terrible I am as a human. Like, I yeah I totally like my I've had like past relationships where unbeknownst to them <laughs> like totally unbeknownst to them every little like perceived slight just fed my depression and made me feel like more of a waste of oxygen mm-hmm. so or my, made me feel like less like valuable as a human or like worthless or not good enough that's probably like the one that was like the greatest weight on my chest during any like previous that I wasn't good enough for them Mm -hmm. and like and depression was like you're not so like give up now um but like and you know even with people knowing that like the best way is to rechannel that energy into like a creative place it's not it's easier said than done Mm -hmm. and I think that that's really important as well is that if somebody is being created especially for like parents with like teenagers and the teenager really needs to like is like really passionate about something creative please foster that that might be like what's saving your kid's life Mm -hmm. and you just don't know because they're not telling you and i think that that's like it's important that if they if they have enough passion to like 
follow that and they're like disinterested in everything else like just like foster that one because like you really should just let your kid follow their dreams but two because you don't know what your kid's dealing with because as a teenager my mom sure as hell didn't know like and i've been dealing with depression since i was a teenager so you know if like it is what it is but like there's this it's tough like it's it's easier when you don't deal with it to give advice but when you do deal with it it's like you just laugh at that advice because like telling me like oh you should just like just like just get back in the studio sweetie like it's totally fine i'm gonna be like fuck you like you don't know how hard it is for me to get to the studio right now like i physically cannot get out of bed like i cannot get out of bed like getting out of bed is like the hardest thing in my life right now and you don't understand because you just think it's like so easy or because it's easier for you to pretend that you don't understand (laughs) because you do understand and you'd you'd like it to be as easy as you're saying yeah and that's the that's the flip side right like you if you do deal with depression and you're you're just like well just get out of bed like because that's what you'd want to scream at yourself yeah and but um, that doesn't work (laughs) for other people so yeah are you finding now with the new schedule and with like your practice and creating a bit of a community on instagram and stuff are these things like feeding your passion and not like weighing you down in a weird business way yeah um yeah there's totally like the weighing down in the weird business (laughs) like that totally happens where i'm like super overwhelmed like i did a boxing day sale and i have to process a lot of the orders still but however (laughs) (laughs) the flip side of that is i have like the the community i do have and the response i have gotten from like being so open about my depression is just like it's overwhelmingly positive and it it is what keeps me going to the studio. Mm-hmm. Like I I I was still like I had made like I I was making a really good effort to go to the studio every day before I went viral. And for me, what was like the most crucial in my studio time is tre- is treating it like a job mm-hmm. because <clears throat> and like all all said and done having having a set schedule forces me into the studio mm-hmm. and that's that it's just it's like being flexible about it was like um a detriment which is what was happening before as i was so flexible um and i would like let people take away from my studio time like all the time mm-hmm. be like oh like they're like, oh, well, like, I'm only in town. I'm like, well, I'd be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's go hang out instead of me going to the studio. But all that did was make me miserable. Like, my studio is my therapist and my job. Mm-hmm. So taking any time away from that is detrimental on, like, a multitude of levels. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my bank account suffers. My mental health suffers. Like... <laughs> everything like my like my way of life and like what I'm comfortable with and my comfort zones and like my happy late all suffers yeah. <laughs> it's just like one big like gouge in my life but yeah I think it's it's just so much better now yeah well it's great to hear I'm glad that you're still here yeah <laughs> 
thank you for coming out here on Thanks your day for off me. and chatting. It's been great. It's been something I've been wanting to do since you know, but for the listeners, something I've been wanting to do for months, uh, you know, to kind of um, slightly explain this weird hiatus that happened and also that keeps happening because, uh, like I said, these things keep rearing their ugly heads and then I can't get out of bed or I do, but I only have so much energy uh, to do things and making a podcast is a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. So uh, it's a lot more hours and energy. Um, so yeah, I wanted to talk about this, um, with Sarah specifically because I've known her struggles and I think her work, uh, really speaks to not just in the thematics of like your actual work Mm -hmm. to speaking to mental health and thought and memory, uh, but what you put out there and the kind of person you are as an artist and a creative and as a social media personality. (laughs) Um, but yeah. Yeah, public figure yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) oh jesus christ yeah (laughs) but yeah uh thanks for listening guys i know it's not like the most fun topic but sometimes it's fun uh (laughs) to listen to and joke about uh because it helps if you are struggling with mental health there are resources um there's like multiple crisis lines um, out there, there's um, a crisis line website that has links to the different crisis lines in almost every country that offers them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I will link to it as well on the website um, in the show notes and probably link to it on Twitter. Um, I know that like there's five followers on there, so that's great. <laughs> really helpful. Um, so to find the website, we're influenceshow.com. You can catch episodes there and show notes and sometimes i post gifs and videos in those show notes and they're really cute and fun um so the the website for finding a crisis line um for you it's under uh yourlifecounts.org and um there's you can search for different countries so there's everything from like australia and canada um, also by like province and state and then all the way through into the U.S. and other countries as well as like China, England, France, India, Ireland, like we're talking everywhere. So no matter where you're located, there's people who spend time, volunteer time to t- just be an ear to listen to. And mm-hmm. sometimes the thing you need most is just someone to listen. And if you don't have a friend that you're comfortable talking to, sometimes a stranger is even better Mm -hmm. yeah um so yeah reach out to those resources uh like i said i'll post a link on the website influenceshow.com also on twitter we are at influence show uh that's everything thanks for listening guys uh until next time thank you for coming thanks for having me okay bye (laughs)